Will you pray with me a moment? And now, Lord, we want to come before you as people who are hungry for your word. And in your goodness, will you feed us today? For Jesus' sake, amen. So during this season of Lent, there's kind of two invitations in the church. One is Monday through Saturday, if you have any baggage that regularly distracts you from following Jesus, you can feel free to put it aside as much as you can. And on Sunday, when you come, hopefully with open hands, that God will have something good to give to you in, on the Sabbath in worship that you can pick up, carry, treasure, and move forward. Last week, uh, we spoke about the gift and Jesus' profound habit of silence and solitude in the presence of God. This week, we're going to talk about the habit of receiving, hearing the Word of God. They are very connected. Now, I wish, as I was describing um, these ways that Jesus lived his spiritual life, that it was as simple as Ikea instructions. Have you ever made a piece of Ikea furniture? They're awesome because it was probably made in Sweden, but there's no Swedish in the instructions. In fact, there's no language. No matter what country you buy these in, you look at the parts, you look at the drawings, hopefully you can figure it out. Sometimes you don't figure it out. <laughs> I've had a few moments. The spiritual life is not as simple as Ikea instructions. And if you come to church hoping, I'll just... Tell me the next three black and white steps, church or pastor man, and I'll do that. Let's not make things too complicated here. Well, the bad news is life is infinitely more complicated than furniture. Simply stated. So the spiritual life is far more nuanced, but important and significant and beautiful than simple instructions like this. So in these weeks of Lent, we are going to Go back to Jesus. There's going to be a little bit of instruction. But if it does not appear totally black and white and crystal clear to you, join the club. We need the Holy Spirit's help to apply it and make it personal. Luke chapter 4 says this about Jesus and his spiritual habits. Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River and then was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Jesus ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. Then the devil said to him, and if you all would be the voice of the devil altogether, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. That wasn't nearly wily or evil enough. One more time, just with a little bit of cleverness and dastardliness. Here we go. The devil said, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Better. We'll, we'll get back to it too. And Jesus answered, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone. Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit is hungry, he's practicing extended silence and solitude, his awareness of the presence of God, the will of God, the power of God, is probably at an all-time high, and notice what happens. Satan goes to him, like makes an in-person appointment with Jesus. Being really close to God, being especially solid in your life, or especially obedient Maybe you were just ordained as an elder or deacon and you're like, I should be closer to God than ever. 
probably what's going to happen is that in your nearness to God, the devil will be like, you know what needs to happen right now? Not any of this nice, lovey-dovey, close-to-God stuff. This is the moment where I need to step in and make things messy. You can look at it almost as an encouragement if you are going through a season of especially profound temptation because that means the devil is noticing you and that something good is about to flower in your life and that may be why you're receiving extra attention and temptation. Now, when the devil speaks... Um, I don't know what language the devil speaks, but the New Testament was written in Greek. And there's these things called conditional statements. If, then. If it's 11.10 and church isn't over, I'm going to walk out and go to brunch. Right? That is an if-then statement. In Greek, there are three different kinds that kind of measure how sure you are on the if part. And when the devil says, if you are the son of God, he is not wondering if Jesus is the son of God. Like it's written into the grammar of the language that I know you are the son of God. Let's just say that you're the son of God because you're the son of God. Like even the devil knows this. Tell these stones to become bread. The devil hits Jesus definitely in a weak place. Jesus may be full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus may be plugged fully into the will and the love of God, but he is hungry after 40 days in the desert, and the devil's temptation is just like, satisfy your own needs, Jesus. I know you're hungry for the will of God, but you're also physically hungry, and isn't that annoying to be physically hungry? And the devil knows if you just maybe take the edge off your physical hunger then maybe you'll take a couple steps back from this whole presence and power of God thing, and then we can have a further conversation. This is the way the devil works. Maybe you're especially close to God and the devil is like, hey, this one part of your life that's just a little bit unresolved. Like, how about if you just do a little something on the side to take away the hunger and the stress there and then, the devil knows, then you'll forget a little more about God. And then, me and you, says the devil, we can have a little more of a heart to heart. Jesus quotes scripture back at the devil. In in fact, he quotes the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. It was written when the whole people of Israel were hanging out in the desert for years and years and years. And unlike Jesus, they fell into all kinds of temptation. In the desert, they rebelled against God. They were ungrateful. They complained. They gave in to fear. Oh, no, God, don't make us go to the promised land. Those people, they're so tall. Like your promise could never be so good that we would be able to walk into Canaan. The devil is hoping Jesus has the same experience that Israel had in the wilderness. But Jesus is full of the word of God and says to the devil, get away I don't need bread. What I need is more of the word of God in my life. Can you hear that? Jesus is like carrying around the word of God inside himself. And more than satisfying his physical hunger, he wants to satisfy his spiritual hunger because he wants more of God. The devil doesn't leave him here. There's going to be another temptation. So, The devil led Jesus up to a high place. By the way, the New Testament 
there's no words for high place there. It just says the devil led him up, which I like to imagine that, I mean, it's the devil and Jesus. Maybe they're like in outer space, looking down on the entire world. And the devil showed in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to Jesus, if you would once again, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Now this is a stronger temptation. Because Jesus is plugged into the will of God, he knows what's ahead of him already. What is the Messiah called to do? Be the conquering hero? Sit on a throne? Have everybody in the Roman world praise you and vote for you? No, there's pain and suffering, betrayal and a cross ahead for Jesus. And the devil is saying in this moment, like, I know you're the Messiah, Jesus, but all of this could be yours and you could take the pain-free way out if you'll just bend the knee and worship me for a second. I can give it all to you. I know there's God, but like this world, let's be honest, it's kind of mine. Can you feel how this would be tempting? Have you ever had a moment in your life where there was a job that was hard for you or a path, a degree that you were working on, and maybe there was a window where you could make it more pain-free or easier just to like shortcut it to make your life so much simpler? Just do that. Jesus' answer is this. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm not going to take the shortcut. I'm not going to take the pain-free way. In the Christian life, oftentimes it can feel like there is a tension between the success we long for and the sacrifice that we're called to. But as far as I can tell, there is no real success without paying deep, deep sacrifice, right? There, there's no way to become a really good singer without singing a lot and sitting through boring band rehearsals with musicians who play too loud. Angela doesn't say that, but right? I mean, there's no way to learn the piano or the guitar without, like, your fingers bleeding for years of your life when you're... Anything worth doing requires paying a sacrificial price. And if you really want to know the will of God and follow Jesus closely and be with him, it is going to cost a lot. And anybody who says any different is selling you something. And whatever that is, you don't want to buy it. The devil comes one more time with a final temptation and says this to the Lord. <clears throat> the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Uh, by the way, here's what the modern temple mount looks like in 2024. If you stood on the edge of the ancient temple, it would be kind of on that point on the right side and it was 450 feet straight down from the top of the temple to the bottom of that valley. So I don't know if anybody gets the like vertigo or the, the willies from being in a... It's high enough that even if you don't get that, you'd be like, mm, 
So the devil takes Jesus to this highest point, shows him over the cliff, and then quotes scripture to him, quotes Psalm 91. The devil says, read with me. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered the devil with more scripture. Do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. By the way, each time Jesus answers, he is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, twice from Deuteronomy 6, once from Deuteronomy 8. It's almost like we get a little insight that when Jesus went into the wilderness, he was especially treasuring this part of the history of the people of God, or maybe had memorized the entire book of Deuteronomy and is like right there at his command to respond to the temptations that the devil is putting in front of him. Have you ever had it where even the scriptures themselves were perverted and twisted to maybe lead you in the wrong direction? I mean, like, if I sold cars in a Christian way, I could just tell people, like, I really feel like God just wants you to be blessed right now with a brand new car. Right? Isn't God so good that he would want to bless you? To Tina, God, want, I'm pretty, God wants you to have a new car. Like, it's so easy to take something that's true about God or a particular piece of scripture, and this is what Satan does. Satan doesn't do anything original. Satan stinks so bad, he can only pervert and twist good things. That's how rotten Satan is. Never wrote a song, never made anything original. Satan stinks. Disrespect all the way around. I mean, many of us have struggled with the temptation of being greedy. What is greed? It's taking the good resources that God has put into the created world and twisting them so that we think, just, I deserve more of this. I should have more of this. I have to have more of this, or I might have this nagging, empty feeling in my belly and man maybe does live by bread alone so give me some more cash or give me some more stuff or like it's so easy the devil is always perverting and twisting and if ever you have an opportunity just to speak a simple truth from scripture or a simple truth about God which is what Jesus does here Jesus knows God is faithful and good so he does not need to and won't put God to the test why do I need to put, test God's faithfulness? I know down to my toes that God is faithful and good, so shut up. We respect and worship the one true God. We disrespect and mock sin and Satan and temptation. The best way to get rid of the influence of evil in your life and temptation is to laugh at the devil and the devil will run from you. He's so insecure. He hates to be mocked. Satan, I know what you're doing right now. You're an idiot. I kind of feel it, but like, I'm not going to do that, and you're a dork. So leave me alone.
We, some of us expend so much. <sighs> Sweat, willpower, trying to do the right thing. When sometimes just speaking a simple truth and laughing at the devil would serve us so well. Here's how this gospel anecdote concludes. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. That sounds inviting, right? I'll be back. But then Jesus, having treasured the word of God and spoken these simple truths, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everybody praised him. Jesus starts living like the Messiah and everybody's first reaction is like, whoa, we've never seen a person act like this, sound like this, live like this. Tell me some more about this. It looks like God is involved. The takeaways for Jesus from this time in the desert are these. Jesus, I'm speaking on his behalf. When I am filled with the word of God and when am I plugged into the presence of my father, it makes resisting temptation almost easy. Being filled with the word helps resist temptation. It's the ultimate, both defense and offense. Takeaways for us. If Jesus needed the word of God to resist temptation, what about more ordinary citizens like us? Might it be a good idea to be hanging out in some portion of the word of God? Yes? I would like to see a lot of nodding right now. Like, Jesus did this. Jesus needed to do this. And in the silence and solitude of the wilderness, the word of God made the connections to the potential pitfalls in his life and gave him Holy Spirit power. The same is true for us. There are going to be pitfalls and temptations. We need the first habit of Jesus, enough space and quiet with God so that the word of God that we are treasuring can come up through our heart and soul into our minds and sometimes even out of our mouths and into reality. We want to get the word of God inside of us. Now, this is a big book. Like, it, you can spend lifetimes. You can't do it all at once, but being in it and giving God just a little bit of latitude to work with what is in here is enough for God to do amazing things in your life. There's this old phrase my mom used to use on me all the time when I ate Fritos. Uh, she would say, you are what you eat. Do you, have you heard this phrase or did you have a mean mother? No. I, I feel like it used to be like a schoolhouse rock or like Saturday morning cartoon PSA thing. Like, you are what you, And generally it's true, right? You eat Junk food, you get junky results. Eat good food, you get better results. Anyway, uh, to some degree it's true with the scriptures. You are what you eat. And the scripture says about itself multiple times, eat this book. God is actually inviting us to, like, to consume it and get it inside of us. That is true. However, as I've grown older... I'm more convinced that this is a deeper truth. You are what's eating at you. Huh? You hear me? The thing that dances around your brain 
willfully or unconsciously, the thing you wake up sorting about, the problem that just, how is this? The thing that's eating at you, that is defining your life right now. What was eating at Jesus 2,000 years ago when he went for 40 days in the wilderness? Here's what was eating at him. I have a calling from God. God is inviting me to live my life this way. I want to do that with everything that I am. In some smaller way, we are called to live a life. We're called by God, our God-given life. We are invited into something, and maybe for many of us, that doesn't eat at us quite as hard as some of like the superficial problems that stir around the top of our mind. And maybe the invitation to you today is, actually, let your deep calling from God for how to live your life eat at you more. Let that eat at you, because as it does, it will drive you back to God. It will drive you wanting to experience the presence of God. It will drive you to want to consume this because a life not well lived is going to leave you hungry and profoundly dissatisfied. Again, I wish this book was like Ikea instructions, but it's not, right? Because there's something different that's eating at all of us. We each have a unique life to live, so I can't give you just this little black and white, take these three steps, and it'll be perfect for you and Jesus. That's not how it works. One final story. In Luke chapter 17, there are 10 lepers, okay? You know what's eating at them? I mean, they have this disease, right? So they see Jesus coming from a distance and they call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stops and here's what he tells them. Jesus, who is the word of God, gives them a word from God and Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. Now, what does that mean? Like they can't get in the temple because they're unclean and have this like horrible flesh disease. So if Jesus is telling them to go see the priests, it means that by the time they hit the temple, they're going to be cured. Like what an amazing word from God, right? And as they are going toward the temple, indeed, they're healed because the word of God gave them a word of God. Now here's the crazy thing. What would you do if you were one of those lepers? Like, oh my goodness, it happened. I went to the Thursday night healing prayer service and well, we should do what Jesus told us to do, right? Let's run to the temple and show ourselves to the priests. That's what nine of the 10 do because that's what Jesus told them to do. One of the 10 realizes that the word of God is now like inhabiting their bloodstream and cured them. And this one person turns around and runs back to Jesus and falls on the ground and worships Jesus. Now, did Jesus tell them to turn back around and to go kneel and worship him as the Messiah and the living? Jesus did not say that. Jesus said, this is not Ikea instructions. Do you understand? <laughs> In this instance, these people had a profound experience with the word of God and the exact right thing to do after having the experience was to run straight back to the source. So my hope and prayer for all of us in this room is that to whatever degree... Um, we are needy lepers. 
that we experience the word of God this way. A word from the Lord, a word from the Lord, and because Jesus has now lived a perfect life, sacrificed himself, and been raised by the power of God, that the living word of God who now sits at the right hand of God can be through his spirit, the word that satisfies us more than bread alone can do within us. So that the word of God is in us. Are you hungry for that, friends? If you miss out on that, is that going to eat you up? Please, yes is the answer. If you miss out on Jesus and his spirit and the scriptures, will that eat you up? <laughs> Would it eat you up more than having an inferior car? Whoo! Would it eat you up more than having a really bad tax year? Would it eat you up more than not being able to sell a house or a piece of real estate that you really need to unload? I, these are hard questions, but by God's grace and the Spirit of God inhabiting you, the answer to all those questions or whatever it is that you could compare it to, Lord willing, yes, 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 God, I'm so hungry for you. I need more than what the things I can put my eyes on and hands on can satisfy in my life. I need you, the living word inside me. When you go to God in quiet, a great way, last week I used this example of try to be quiet for 10 minutes with God, like your brain will go crazy. Monkeys jumping up and down in the trees of your mind. The best way to quiet that is to bring some piece of scripture into your quiet with God. Here's a prayer I have literally prayed tens of thousands of times in the quiet. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Sometimes I'm in such a bad way I can't even like keep that going. Sometimes it's just Jesus help. Sometimes it's just I call on the name of the Lord. Like whatever it is to you, a piece that is coming from a connection between God's word and your heart of hearts, you bring that into even five or ten minutes of quiet with God, I promise you, God will do something. It might be on a conscious level. It might be on an unconscious level. It might be visible. It might be invisible. I don't know. But God loves to work that way. Uh, we're going to be quiet for just 30 seconds. If there's any word from this passage, if there's any truth about Jesus, if there's any desire that this message stirred today, I would invite you to sum it up in just a few words or a phrase and just repeat it between you and God's spirit. Then we're gonna close with a song about the living word of God. Let's go to the Lord in quiet for a moment.